friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic, healing fishman magic. I'm your host, joined as always by my less than talkative uh, maid and co-host, Alex Dandino. <gasps> you broke the joke, you ruined the illusion. <laughs> Oh, I forgot. Was that your 1920s tap dance break? <laughs> yeah, duh. Okay, duh. Well, shame on me. Yeah, All right, on. guys, before Asshole. we dive into Jeez. today's uh, love affair, a little business. Please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. Helps us out, guys. We appreciate it. Quick five star, quick sentence or two about why you uh, love spending time with us. Thank you, guys. On that same note, we're on all the social media you're on. That's a great way for you guys to help us out, too. Share us with your friends, man. Share the show. Uh, let your other movie-loving friends know that we're here. We thank you in advance. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Great way to get a hold of us. Let us know movies you'd like to hear covered on the show. New, old, theme for a month, guest host, anything like that. You guys let us know. We'll put it on the list. We've gotten some really good ones, so thank you guys in advance. Go to YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're not just beautiful voices. We're also beautiful humans in the flesh that you can watch on YouTube. Our channel is called Film Alchemist. You can see video versions of this podcast and other stuff we're cooking up over there. So uh, get on it, guys. Thank you. All right. Enough business. This February, the month of Amour. Ooh. Uh, yeah, interspecies erotica month here on <laughs> Film Alchemist. It just sounds so gross. I think Kevin Smith ruined that phrase. He did. I don't know. Maybe that phrase was ruined before. Um, inhuman love. Inhuman yeah, romance. That, that's better. Inhuman romance. Inhuman romance. Yeah, it sounds less uh, gross, less seedy. All right, guys. We're starting the month off, right? So these are all movies where man or woman falls in love with a non-human entity. Today, one of my all-time favorite movies to ever win the Academy Award for Best Picture, The Shape of Water. Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> uh, just bringing everything that I've always loved about him to absolute pitch-perfect fruition. Um, Alex, walk me through your opening thoughts on The Shape of Water. I also love this movie. It's also pretty rare on this pod that we actually discuss best picture winners i think the last time we did yeah. was, i think the last time we've ever i think the only time we've ever other done it is like parasite yeah and to be fair i am uh i am just an absolute full-on cult of oscar i love the academy awards you not so much so i don't i don't tempt the fates but i thought this one would be absolutely perfection this is a perfect this is perfect for this month of amour um i like I said, love this movie. It is Guillermo del Toro doing everything he does best, which is yeah. make me feel weird about interspecies love, which is fine in this movie. Uh, make me curious about things that I was not curious about before. And just in general, give me the whimsy that I was looking for and other what otherwise and in the hands of another director might just be sort of a little too Cronenbergy for my taste for this kind of tale. <laughs> yeah, I I'm always fascinated by movies, and if we're being really honest, I don't think there's an enormous list, right? 
of movies that you see and you're like, that movie had to be made by that director. Yes. No one else could have made this movie. I mean, you could have, but not to the level that he got it to, right? Right. And this movie illustrates my favorite thing about Del Toro, right? He's pretty infamous, not infamous, but well-known, right, for his love of monsters and all things horror and this and that. What I like about Del Toro, though, is even if you watch the Hellboy movies, Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, this and that, the thing I really love about Del Toro is his love for monsters comes through. Yes. Enormously, right? He doesn't look at the monster as an inherently evil destruction device, right? I think a lot of us like monster movies and we like creature features, but a lot of directors who work in this medium, they use them as weapons against us, right? Right. What I love is that Del Toro takes real care and the monsters are usually some kind of blank slate with which humans can project their worst and or best qualities off of. Right. And I think this movie, he does that as charmingly as he's ever done. And I would also say I think this is probably the best actual cast of characters. Every character in this movie is so perfect. Yes. Every small character is just perfectly cast, amazingly acted. I just I really do I mean it just it feels like the confluence that he's been working towards, right? And I don't know that every director gets that movie, right? Where you're just that was the peak of everything that I love about that guy. And it was it was just awesome and to see him actually win an Academy Award to see a movie like this win so many prizes, I thought was just phenomenal. It um, was not expected your... either. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, I mean, immediately, because I was telling you, one of the things that pissed me off the most, I love this movie. Yeah. Love. Like, this is one of those, I'm like, this feels like it was made just for me movies. I love when you right. find that movie, and you're like, they know exactly what my little heart wants. And I was telling you, I used to watch Bill Maher back in the day, and he used to always use this as his, like, Hollywood's out of touch and stupid movie, right? Oh, the fish fucker movie. Right. And I just, it always bothered me that that's what people always just take away from this movie. And see, I'm the opposite of you. I never thought it was weird at all. I think it's just fucking yeah. awesome. And- well, I think that's, that I think <laughs> is kind of the, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like that scene particularly is, in my opinion, very beautiful. Like I actually. Oh, man. When I actually rewound and watched that scene again today when I was yeah. watching the movie, just because it is like it does sort of it transcends a lot of this. It transcends a lot to me mm-hmm. and it becomes much more. It's not even about romance. Like it just feels very intimate, like two people who are. I don't know how to describe it properly, to be honest with you. Like it is just this sort of beautiful, intimate moment that you see between two souls almost like it's pretty fascinating to me yeah souls with secret dick compartments so like i get it they're jokes to be made yeah look it's not bill maher should make better ones as a professional i actually think it's pretty low-hanging fruit i think guillermo guillermo del toro yeah it is sorry pun not intended but i think guillermo (laughs) del toro is a smart enough director to also know that that's what's going to happen and you know you don't create a creature you don't create prosthetics and creatures like that and then do that in a movie and not expect to catch like something funny you know that's just, that's the way well, it yeah. is well i mean honestly it's just i never thought it had a chance I, I was like this is by far the best movie of the year and usually whatever movie i think that's the case for it doesn't happen and i was just like everyone's gonna just say it's the the fish fucker movie and when it pulled through yeah. i was like there is something to be said about this gets back to well, what we talked about with Total Recall, right? The Seth Rogen quote. Audiences will let you go as far out as you want. 
You know, and this movie proves that. That year, which was the 90th, 90th Academy Awards, it was The Shape of Water, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So that's like, a fucking tough That's a crowd. fucking... Actually, I'll say this. <laughs> that year was the first year I had watched the Oscars in a long time and was like, all these movies were actually very good and deserve to be nominated for Oscars. I'm kind of surprised. And like, yeah, it right? was very... I was very surprised when The Shape of Water won, pleasantly, of course, because I did enjoy The Shape of Water. But it was super fascinating to have movies like Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, which is a biopic. Like Those are always the ones that end up getting the spot just because of the nature of what they're made about. And then Get Out won Best Screenplay, and I'm like, hang on. Things are very different this year. I think we're finally like getting over the fact that nobody wants to watch a movie about old white guys for like maybe 20 minutes but that is what's so wonderful about the shape of water and exhibit I think that, a the post exhibit b the darkest hour yeah exactly <laughs> but that i think is what makes the shape of water so fascinating to me is that everything about it is unexpected it should not be a move it should be a weird quirky little movie that we all talk about in hushed tones and maybe get a criterion dvd of what it is is this beautiful sweeping romantic movie that is also this like sci-fi sort of genre thriller that does so much work at all times to just make you believe everything that's happening is happening. And look, this movie could be yeah. written off very quickly, but it's not because everything about it feels real. And that is the power of this movie. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are probably screaming at their audio devices right now. Pan's labyrinth was peak del Toro. Sure, like absolutely, of that course. movie's amazing. It's a wonderful I movie. What, I think what's different about Shape of Water for me is the, like you said, there is a a, a fairy tale magic in this one. Whereas Pan's Labyrinth is very punishing in how it uses its magic, and it uses the imagination of a child and this and that, and it, it's weaponized against us, right? Yes. It's the poisoning of magic in the world against this child, right? Right. This one, I, I, I like that. There's so much warmth and heart, right? Yes, me too. And at the core, there are monstrous acts and a monstrous man and this and that. I love the opening when we see uh, she's just floating, right? She's floating up in the... And Richard Jenkins is giving his opening monologue and he even mentions, right, the monster that tried to destroy it all. And if you watch Del Toro, you know that monster's going to be us. Right. And I just... I love watching that, that rollout, right? What I think at the core of this movie, right, is I think this movie still works pretty well if that's not a fish person. Yes. Right? I think the fish works so well because it's it's classic Del Toro. It's visual. They are just shots in this movie, right, that are just breathtaking moments of movie making. Like, I'll remember that moment. The scene where that she sets the egg down and she has the record and she's eating and his hand comes up and grabs the egg and you cut back and the two of them are just like head to head enjoying a moment of peace in this fucking torture laboratory you're just like it's one of those things that you see in movies and it's you're just like god i just you rarely get transported like that right yeah but i think at the core what it is is i think about the moments between neighbors between her and octavia spencer i mean there are just moments of such profound human longing and joy that that's to me what is the extra separator of this movie, right? Right. I mean, that's 
that's what it is. Like that's what that I think is what makes Del Toro one of the more fascinating filmmakers of our of our time is just he makes these kinds of movies. These kinds of movies that should be big like Hollywood you know, creature feature movies, but that's not what this is. And I think that's always the thing that gets lost on people who don't want to watch this kind of movie simply because it's about a fish guy. You're like, it's not well, about like a fish I, guy. to be fair. I liked it so much. I took my mother with me cause she just wants to be a part of what I do. And she loves movies. And I was like, I've had a couple swings and miss with mom, right? Like I took her to see troll Jurgen and this, and you're like, these probably aren't, Right, but my mom, I think, still even mostly enjoyed this movie. I think she was kind of like, I could have done without the fish dick as well, but at I the mean, end of the day, I, I think this always comes back to, I think people understand that there's, I think the thing this movie does well, right, is it puts all the characters in their own little fish bowls. Yes. I love the scene when she has the card, right? And she's pointing uh, this out to the creature, right, Sally Hawkins. And she's pointing, and she's like, I'm the person holding the fishbowl. You're the fish in the bowl. And it's like, I hate to break it to you. You guys are the fucking fish in the bowl. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? like, and, and I think that is kind of the cool image that pervades is there is a profound loneliness in all of these characters that as an audience member, I don't care if it's the fucking fish. I don't care that it's her with her egg timer in her bathtub. Yeah. I want people in this movie to find moments of happiness because I love them and I feel sad for them. Constantly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, it is just about these moments of, it is these intermittent moments of happiness amidst terrifying shit. Like things that are terrible, like things that are world ending in a lot of cases, particularly in this movie. Like the, it's interesting because this movie really should be an A plot about, cold war era hysterics and the space race and all that kind of shit that should be the a plot of the movie that should be the through line for the whole fucking thing and that is the mastery of this movie is it's not even close to being that what it is is about a man about a misunderstood a misunderstood being and a, a two misunderstood beings finding each other in the darkness and that is like that's the a plot. That's the a plot for a great romance movie. That's a plot for a great for romantic moment for whimsy for beauty in life itself. And I think that's what's so great is the background noise is all this awesome sci-fi uh, Cold War era hysteria that is just like sort of like keeping the plot moving forward. But what we're locked into, like you were saying, is these small moments, these really small beautiful pieces of these people's lives. Like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh, Richard Jenkins character, Giles. Um, He's the fucking best. Okay. Yeah. The absolute. Can we take a minute to talk about Richard Jenkins who might be, I fucking adore him so much. There's never been an actor more important to movies than Richard Jenkins. I swear to God. He's in Uh, everything. Okay. Now we're going, we're, we're hyperbole. (laughs) I love Richard. I'm really not, man. Like he's in every movie I love and he's just there. Like he just shows up, man. He shouldn't be as good as he has no right to be. I mean, he does. Obviously, he's a human being. He do whatever he wants. He has no right, though, to be as talented and wonderful as he is. And he's just as good in this movie as he is. in. uh, I mean, you know, I'm sure the thing that the Amazon fish god of our old man character. I'm sure the thing that everybody wants. I'm sure everything everybody remembers him from now is Step Brothers. But he's like one of the all time greatest dramatic actors, like one of my all time favorite dramatic actors in movies. Neither here nor there. I'm 
but yeah, I mean, his role in this movie, again, these this is what separates it to me, right? Because I think this and Pan's Labyrinth are a great double feature. Yes. I think it'd be hard to argue that those aren't the best Del Toro flicks, right? Right. Um, I know some people that would, but I think I would have a pretty strong case. I think to they would be wrong. Right? But again, there there is something about Sometimes I'm in the mood for unrelenting sadness and to abuse myself because humans are trash. Yes. And sometimes I want a little, I might feel that way, but I want to be reminded of magic. And Giles in this movie, right, the neighbor, is this, what should be this really sad, broken human being, right? He had the big job. He lost the job for being an alcoholic. And now we see him and all he is, he's the guy who's still peddling a craft that's out of date, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He's always flipping the TV. He always knows when the whimsical musical movie's on. His whole life is just living in these fucking moments of fantasy. Uh, Same with the guy at the pie store, right? Just anything to pull him out of his real life. The one thing he has is this beautiful bond with this neighbor lady. He's learned sign language. Uh, Their bond is so sweet and so endearing that, again, these two kind of sad, lonely, isolated people, that, that bridge they have with each other becomes so true and so deep very fast and just watching him kind of explain to her oh this is the bojangles dance right um the movie constantly is dipping back and showing us classic cinema right the love of cinema just the again these people just finding anything to be happy about right right and i think that's that's where where this movie excels so much right because the scene that will always stick out with me with richard jenkins because his comedic beats are great. But the scene when he's going, he wants to get his job back. And she's like, you have to help me save this creature, right? They're going to vivisect my new, you know, fish boyfriend. You got to help me. He's like, what are we? We're nothing, right? He's like, what? He's been so devalued by everyone. And the one person he loves is begging him for help, right? And so, I mean, this is like the whole movie, right? Is this moment when she's, you know, when he looks at me, right? Oh, it's a he now, right? It's not a thing. It's a he. And she just, when he looks at me, he doesn't realize how I'm broken. He doesn't realize what I'm lacking. Right. Right. And her and Richard Jenkins have a, you know, tussle. Like, it looks like he's just done with her. He's like, don't ask me to inconvenience myself. Right. And then he goes on this back to back, just two horrendous moments. Right. He's not getting his job back. Uh, This guy that he seemingly has feelings with reject rebuffs him. Right. Right. The pie man that he's worked up. Right. Fake accent. Pie man. Huge racist. Yeah, racist and uh, rebuffs him, right? Yes. And, you know, is also homophobic to him. Uh, so he's done eating the shitty pie. He comes back, and this is the moment when he knocks on the door and just opens it, and he's just like, whatever this thing is, uh, it's it's your light in the darkness, and you need that. Yeah. And what he's saying is, I fucking need that, right? And you're the only thing I have. So if – and his willingness to go out on a limb, right? Right. I mean, that it's just it's beautiful. I love the interplay with those two in this film. I mean, that's yeah, that's what I mean. Their two handers amazing. Again, Sally Hawkins is for an actress who almost who says practically nothing the entire movie. She is so fucking wonderful. I, I think Sally Hawkins is a fantastic actress regardless when she speaks in films. This is on another level, though, of like just the human emotion on her face. And again, being the one without a voice in this movie and to let other people do their thing, like between her and Octavia Spencer, her and Richard Jenkins, and even her and, you know, Michael Shannon, who we'll get to, like, she is 
unbelievably incredible at getting out of people's way and then also stepping back in and taking control of a scene. Like there's just stuff that you can't, there's stuff that is just preternatural about actors that I wish, I wish I had. I think a lot of actors who are working wish they had it, but there's just things about some of these people that are just undeniable. And Sally Hawkins has that in this movie and it's, it's truly wonderful to watch. And it's, it's gut wrenching. In a lot of ways. And it's weird because by the end of the film, her her actions almost become the strongest voice in the room. Oh, totally. Right? Like, you see her turn where by listening to the way other people talk to her, you're filling in a lot of what she means and what she says. Mm-hmm. And the scene that always leaps out to me is when she's giving it right back to Michael Shannon, who just terrorized her in the scene before. Like, I like a woman that don't talk. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. Right? And he's just being a sack of shit. And she, you know, all of a sudden is like, oh, was was he doing something trivial? And she starts spelling out fuck you. Fuck you, you, yeah. Because for a moment, she's watching him finally be scared the way he scares everyone else. Oh, yeah. I love that scene. She fucking loves it. The power in that scene, right? Yeah. Really, to me, the the Sally Hawkins beat that I think everyone takes away from this movie, right? It's because at the start of the movie, she seems so small and mousy and... You're almost afraid for her. You're like, this seems like a rough world, right? Like, right. you know, she's in this tough facility and there's a fucking monster and whatever. But by the end, when uh, her and the creature flood the room, right? They're, they're going to flood the pond, you know? Right. All kinds of flooding's about to go down in this bathroom. And when Richard Jenkins opens the door and that scene of her just holding the creature, right? And just the look on her face of just absolutely a person being so complete right like her one look just says strength i've conquered i know love uh i mean it just it's just that that look like you said there's just something undeniable and it's it's magic and you can't pin it down but her eye just looking at richard and richard jenkins just being like uh and closing the door because he knows he's witnessed something profound and beautiful and (laughs) and moving oh no it's it's by far the most it's by far the most mesmerizing moment in the movie to me. Yeah. The look on her face is the movie itself. Like everything about what happens in that moment is the is the source of power this movie has. It's it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating and it's absolutely wonderful. I Yeah. Again, I just it's the movie is just such a fascinating anomaly of and not only that like this like reversal of what I think normally we would like I was reading today that when Michael Shannon, when uh, Guillermo del Toro was pitching to Michael Shannon, Michael, he's mentioned to Michael Shannon, he's like, you know, if this movie was made in the fifties, you would be the hero of the story. Yeah. And that struck me as really fascinating because I never thought of Strickland like that in this movie, obviously like he's the villain. He's supposed to be, but then I I started thinking more about it. I'm like, (laughs) He absolutely 1000% believes he's doing the right thing the whole time, which is what makes him a great villain. But more to the point, like the way it's written, he has so many irredeemable moments in a lot of ways that are so fascinating because they're injected with, because there's the fifties version. There's the, or I guess 62, like there's the sixties version of this guy who is the hero of the story. And then the 2017 version with all of the injected real world moments, like it is a completely different movie and it's a completely fascinating examination of how we never saw another side of those heroes 
of those 60s sci-fi films. Like This is exactly what I was talking about with the Cold War era layer on the back end. Mm-hmm. When we see any of that, it's so real. It's the real world creeping in and like fucking with this whimsy beyond comprehension for no reason other than to ruin yeah. it. It's absolutely yeah. masterful storytelling to me. Yeah, and that's this is the Creature from the Black Lagoon, right? Which this obviously is heavily influenced by. Right. That's a story of they find a, a fossil. They're like, hey, we should go back and find where this fossilized Gilman hand came from. Right. They get trapped in a lagoon, you know, by the creature. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, wow, look at that beautiful thing. What is that creature, right? He doesn't maim the lady. No. He doesn't murder her. And then guys come down and start spraying fucking poison gases and shooting harpoons at him. And he fights back. And they put him in a cage. And he burns their boat. And at the end of the day, it's just like, I'm fascinated by it. It's, it's the King Kong, right? Twas beauty killed the beast. And it's weird because those guys are like, oh, my God, this fucking sack of shit creatures trying to take my side piece and burn my boat. It's like, dude, you rolled into his house and started chucking dynamite and shit so you could bring him back. And again, you're just watching like, oh, I'm glad they defeated the monster. So the girl in the one piece, you know, can go back to swimming in someone else's home. Right. right. Like, it's insane if you think about it like that. Right. But we're so trained. And again, this gets back to the, the Del Toro lens, which is important. We're trained. That's not us. That's other. That's different. Right. Hate that. Scare that. Destroy that. And that is perfect for this movie with the Cold War as the backdrop, right? Because we see this interlude between them and the They don't know what the fuck this thing is. But they're like, the the Russians want it. That's good enough for us. Let's kill it and move on. And the Russians even say, Russians don't need to learn. Russians need Americans not to learn. Pig dog. And you're like, so you get where they're at, right? They're just others. They're inhuman, right? Like you said, this is an earth-shattering revelation. There's an Amazonian fish god with all these healing powers that they don't even discover in the lab. That's what would be really useful to us. Right. They don't care about that. They're talking about scuba lungs and whatever the fuck. All it is is it's different. And they want it, so we need it. And we should destroy it so they can't have it. And that game of back and forth is what monster movies have always been. You know? And so, yeah, Strickland... His his journey through being the American ideal man is masterfully laid out in this film. Yes. It's I just I love this movie. <laughs> I that I mean I feel like that's me too as I told I'm just it's one of those rare movies I watch where it's like I am just absolutely ferried away yeah. into this beautiful you know fable. I fucking adore like, this movie. I, but I took my wife to see this movie and it was like one of those things like we both like we both wanted to see it because we both love Guillermo del Toro. But like my wife, obviously my wife's a big, big into uh, vintage clothing. So she really wanted to go because it's 60s. It's all retro. It's like that style is very uh, relevant to her and she likes all that kind of stuff. So obviously I'm going because I'm a fucking nerd and I like Guillermo del Toro movies. And then we step into this movie and like. All the things we came in with the preconceived notions of what we wanted to see. And this is, again, like they all melt away. And we're both like mm-hmm. holding each other's hands, watching these people just fall in love. And then like that scene, the, the cut scene where she has the fantasy where she does the dance number. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, in any other movie that is even remotely similar to this, that rings so untrue. And in this one, it felt so wonderful and uplifting and beautiful. You know why? You know why? Why? 
Because at the start of her own fantasy, we watch her trying to find her voice. Yep. She's trying to imagine what her voice would sound like to launch into the number, right? That you'll, I'll never be able to tell you how much I love you, whatever the song is, right? Yeah. You'll never know. Uh, watching her try to find her voice for that 30 seconds at the start, that meek voice before she erupts out into full on fantasy. Oh my God. Watching man. her travel that road. That's what makes it so earnest. It's, it's just beautiful. And it's, man. Well, it's weird that that's the fantasy in the movie as she's sitting there with this fish boyfriend, and it's it. I, I know, but that's, that's what I mean. That's Who the crazy thing. That's the fantasy shit, in the movie. You know, yeah. Wait, this is the strange thing too, right? Because this is what I was gonna say about Strickland, right? Is he every character in this movie's entire life is fantasy, right? It's all fa- so Octavia Spencer has this fantasy marriage to Brewster, right? Right. He's this mythological fucking lazy cycloptic beast. Right. Right. That she just hates. And she's like, he's terrible. She's terrible. You know, when we finally see him, we're like, oh, he's just like a normal dude. Right. right? He, not doing a great job at being a husband. But we listen to her spin these yarns about Brewster. Right. He becomes this mythical creature. Right. And then, you know, Sally Hawkins obviously has all her uh, fantasies and routines with the fish. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the Russian doctor, obviously, everyone has these little fantasies right right to where by the end of the movie her and the fish are the realest thing that we see which is strange because strickland's journey through the american man right where his son hey poppy do you think we'll have jetpacks of course we will boy this is america right and then he's just pounding his wife out thinking of sally hawkins that scene there are so many small moments of menace with him when she's like honey you're bleeding and he's like shh 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 and he's just Obviously thinking about a woman who can't speak back to him, which, again, speaks to, you know, the yeah. kind of man archetypes of that time. Uh, him just he's the man of the future in his car. They wave at him. It's, you know, the scene that nailed it home for me, though, was when his wife brought in the green jello that Richard Jenkins had been drawing. And yeah. he's like, how much fucking happier can they be? And when you see him unhappy as the jellos brought in, I was like, what a fucking brilliant visual uh throwback you know the one that always again this is we don't talk we haven't talked yet about like the special effects work in this movie and like the highly underrated and probably most important thing which is doug jones who's mm-hmm. a ball state alum and also yeah. just like ball state chirp 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 <laughs> but um the scene where he's in his car and he literally like sniffs his dying fingers. I've I remember being like, "That's that might be the grossest thing in this movie." And like the there's pus and all that. Like there's nothing gross. There's nothing more disgusting in this movie than watching this guy. And I liked that he's. It's this. It's this really fascinating, obvious but really fascinating metaphor for the his character himself, which is just he's holding on so close. He has to keep this as it was he doesn't want to be changed by this experience he wants to be the same person he was at the very beginning so for him to like literally hold on to the last second and then have to like rip his own fingers off oh which is see i don't even think i think that scene is more about he's just done with the facade yeah exactly right he's not being the american man now he's here to destroy that's well that's the moment he knows where he's that like, once he realizes yeah. the the help as he calls her right that he's been terrorizing that she stole this fish right right 
that a, a woman did this underneath of him, right? A woman that he desires, right? They, his whole social order is toppled, right? He's not at all struck by the magic of this this creature, right? Or the knowledge that he's the only person touched by the creature who isn't healed or made better. He's the one that starts rotting. Right. <laughs> and there's nothing about that except for I think he's just mad. Yeah. That they took, because the general pretty much tells him, he's like, you know, have the decency to not fuck up. Or you'll be unmade. You'll be unborn. Right? Right. And I think, in a way, in that moment, when the general says that, he's already made him unborn. He's already unmade him. Right. And I think now he is, he gets in that mantra place, right? Like, I deliver. I deliver. But he doesn't care why he delivers. He's not thinking about what he's, he's just out for menace. Right. And I think um, when he rips the fingers off, it's just like, Oh, finally, I yeah, can just finally I can my be business. myself, which is this menacing shithead yeah. for the last like five minutes of the movie. But oh, the worst. Um. All right. I want to talk about Doug Jones, who is, you know, that Doug Jones brings the action with every role he takes. Yeah. Guaranteed from, you know, from uh, Billy Bones up to now. He is one of the all time great creature actors. He is. A Boris Karloff of his time, so to speak. He's been in many movies that you might not have even known he was in simply because this is what he does. But this, I think, might have been his most... This this is probably the most featured he's been in a movie ever. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that... I mean, in the way that Del Toro does this, right? That he allows the monster to be this romantic lead, right? This aspirational male figure in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen a lot for the monster. No. And so then that leads you to think by proxy, that doesn't happen a lot for the guy who acts as the monster. Right? So he gets his his moment. And there is if you watch his body language when him and Sally Hawkins are having their moment, like one of my favorite, favorite, favorite moments in the movie is when Dimitri creeps out from the shadows mm-hmm. and he sees them signing. She's doing the little uh, tap dance erotica show for him <laughs> outside of his fish tube. And they start signing, you know, this and that. And he sees that they have this extra special bond, right? This magic that is, you know, we're following through the whole film. Right. He sees it for the first time. And this undercover Russian spy, his, again, his fantasy is really hard to watch in the movie, too. Because his is kind of the the inverse trajectory of Michael Shannon, right? Where... He is supposed to be the man of the state. You get the sense that Michael Shannon would love being in the Soviet Union side, <laughs> right? Like, you just get the sense, like, I'd just be a man who crushes for the system. Right. And I'll be stoked about that. Whereas Michael Shannon at least has the knowledge, like, I'm a scientist, man. And for the good of humanity, and this is magic. There's something extra happening. And to see that she's a part of that, you know, his his internal shift to being becoming a good man and getting to tell someone his real name. Right. Uh, are just great. But the moment when he sees that, I think that's what that's where the Doug Jonesness comes out, right? Is his the way that through just a gentle caress. Right. Or the way he reacts when she touches his chest. Or the way he goes to embrace her, right? That has to look like alien to us, but be universally recognizable as a a moment of tenderness. I mean, I, I think I think it's one of those things. I don't think any of us will ever fully appreciate 
how good he is. If no, that makes sense. I don't think so either. And I think it'll take a very long, again, I, it'll take a very long time. I think for any of us to be able to understand the depth with which he takes characters because yeah. he knows that he is, he knows that while his face is not being seen, he knows that everything else is everything. He has to be, he has to be so much more than everyone else. If his face can't be seen, he has to make that real for us. Like, how many movies have we watched where people are just going to sit in a rubber suit and not make an, and kind of not make an effort? Like you're going to like, you know, motion back and forth. Like the Doug Jones performance, anytime he's in one of these, anytime he's in one of these situations where I think the only time I've ever seen him not in a costume or not in some form of makeup might've been that movie. It was an indie that they shot at ball at in Muncie with the ball state crew. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the only time I've ever seen him in a dram dramatic role without any yeah. makeup on at all. But to me, that is the artistry of Doug Jones. And that's the thing that will make all of us in like 10 or 20 years, look back at all the movies he's done and be like, Oh my God, how did we like, just like totally overlook this? Like this guy is lifetime achievement material. Yeah. You know, this is a person well, who's brought things to life in this one, right? Totally. Where, the monster facade, right? Because I do think sometimes playing in a mask or this and that can help an actor, right? You have something sure. to to build you into this fantasy, right? Absolutely. And it's funny that he already played Abe Sapien, right? Uh-huh. And got his voice replaced by Dr. Niles Crane, who, glorious dulcet tones. But <laughs> I know I, I read about, he talked about how much that hurt him. He's like, I can do this performance. And they're like, no, we just want your lanky body. Right. And then it happened to him with Silver Surfer. Yeah. And then he got to be... Abe Sapien, you know, and do the voice and Hellboy was great. was great. But this is the movie where they said, so you have all this creature makeup and this and that, but it's almost becomes an absolute hindrance to the performance you would naturally give as a man falling in love with a woman, right? Yeah. Now you are falling in love with a woman, but it'd be like me, like uh, a sentient candle, right? A Gwyneth Paltrow candle explodes in your house. And in the fiery wreckage, Timely. you're like, how am I going to love and have intercourse with the fiery wax of that candle? Right. Ah. And it's like, wow, that's a lot to process. That's what he's doing is this is something. I mean, that is I guess that's not all the way true, because in the Amazon, he's come across other humans. I don't know if he's just out there slinging fish sticks all <laughs> over the place. But watching and that's something Doug Jones has to build into the character, right? Does this guy have like a fish tender? I don't know. But watching him find those intimate moments of tenderness across species lines, that is, I mean, that's that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. And especially when you're in all that shit. I mean, again, and it's, you're right. There is like that, there is credit to being able to hide your face and, really invest yourself in the character, but there is just something otherworldly about being able to completely envelop in something like that and become that person. Yes. It's, it's inspiring mm -hmm. and it's amazing. And I think it leads us to, we have to talk about 
this fish dick scene. It's hard because, yeah, I think so little of us fully understand what he does. We just know it's magic. Yeah. It's hard to even have the vocabulary to praise him properly. Right. I mean, again, what he's doing. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> I mean, that's a great way to put it. We just, I just we, believe there's an actual fish man. Right. We don't possess in love the, with him and I buy it all the way. I don't possess the brain <laughs> capacity to know what he's doing, but I know that he's doing it very well. That is how I know. But that also yes. leads us again, like <laughs> right. I said, to the fish dick scene, which we must discuss. I this is the weird thing, because I I know, again, I don't think my mom was in love with the idea of like she's like, oh, I made it this far in my life without pondering fish erotica. Like I could have made it the rest of the way. What a but fool. Again, what I I love it, man. I love it in this movie. I do, too. I really because do. I think what it does, is it comes from a place of. Again, we, we, we see the the real monster of this movie. When you see Michael Shannon and you see his lovemaking with his wife, Jeez. right? All of a sudden, these things that seem normal to us, when you start seeing her, again, I think that gets back to the Richard Jenkins point, too. You just want her to be happy. Yes. And you trust that what she's feeling is real. Right. And to me, it's it's one of those things I never... I remember when I first saw the movie being like, oh, wow, they're doing... Sally Hawkins is like butt naked and doing full frontal in the first scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, doing a little self self time. Just little a little a little me time, yes. And I was like, that's a that's a weird thing to add. Oh, okay. And I think what it does is it it sets this tone of having to only be loved by yourself, right? Yeah. That when we see later her in this creature, you're just for me I just always it feels so beautiful. It never came off as weird or exploitative no. or hard to watch for me. No, it didn't. It Same here. Like, I, I mean, like we walked out of the theater and I was just like, is it just me or is that just like beautiful? Like there's, it's not like I wasn't like, huh, what are the mechanics? Cause I mean like the scene after like him and her and, um, Octavia Spencer talking Octavia and, and Octavia Spencer's hilarious. She like, she does all the work. We don't want to have person, to do. We got to take a time out. We never talked again about her. Just one of those actresses that just does not get the fucking absolute uh, landslide of credit. She deserves. Not and she is fucking perfection in this movie. She is. She's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. We did not talk enough about Octavia Spencer being like the world's greatest interpreter. And not only like that, but also just like owning those scenes. I fucking love that scene with her and her husband at the end. Like she's oh, so fucking yeah. awesome. Oh my god. Yeah. Every but she's God, she's fucking just great. Every We're time kind of jumping around. But anyways, back Sorry. to the fish dick. Back I just to wanted fish to sticks. plant the flag and say I fucking adore Octavia Spencer too. <laughs> yes. All right, fish dicks. But go. she does such a good job of doing the work for us and again this is because octavia spencer's amazing she's like i know for a fact like the way that it's written Guillermo del toro is smart enough to know like all right i just presented a very weird scenario to the audience how do i make it real for everyone and it's like i give zelda the lines that anyone would ask the night after someone had sex with somebody like it's this like you know sex in the city morning brunch routine where she's like so how does it work oh, oh. tell me more like that whole bit it it's the works. most human thing right there's this it's amazing absolutely. discovery and creature and it's like how do we fuck it how do we fuck it 
it's it's, oh. it's not as romantic as the movie presents it the way I just phrased it, but right. it's well, it's it that clerk's too big. We all want to know. It's that clerk. There he goes. Homeboy <laughs> fucked a Martian. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. It's, it, but it's again. Good. I don't think he needs to. And I think maybe there's a part of it where the the opening masturbation scenes are to set a tone of being up close with her and intimate right because that first scene you're kind of like oh damn she's just going for it in the bathtub and it feels kind of predatory and voyeuristic that we're in there (laughs) watching it right she can't hear so it it, kind of has that movie hush vibe right you're like we shouldn't be in here man we got to get out of here right right (laughs) and also i think there is just most audiences are trained to be weird about women owning their sexuality like this sometimes so i think those moments set us up for that it that it's her safe intimate spot right so i I think that's a calculate because honestly if you would have asked me vegas odds over under that sally hawkins would be naked in this movie it would be low 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 you know but again i think it's it's not in a in a sexual exploitative way it's it's to just progress this idea of the romance yeah and i think by both of them being naked together it's showing the 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 closing of the gap in form right that right. they're not so far and weird and different i don't know man it, yeah i i think people get really hung up on it and i get it it's funny to make jokes about oh yeah i mean look um, i'm not saying it's, certainly it's not, not the kind of movie you think you're gonna see yeah but. i'm not saying it's not worthy of some sort of ribbing but if you can't see the beauty of it and you kind of can't see like what it means for yeah. thematically what's happening in the movie then i don't know you're not i don't think you're watching the movie <laughs> Well, I would like to know who watches that movie, right? And they roll right through Michael Shannon just aggressively pounding his wife out while asking her to be quiet. Right. All because she has a hand soap fetish. And then next thing you know, they see, like, those two embrace. And they're like, that's it. That's the line. Yeah. Get the sedan. We're going home. There's right? so like, many movies that we've watched. Person, I would be so baffled. Yeah. I would be so baffled yeah. that you could see the Michael Shannon lovemaking. And think that's okay and normal and not the other. Right. That seems strange to me. Well, I mean, again, that's what this movie is about really is the other that we don't realize. The other of what love is. Like, love is this unexplainable thing. You don't know where it's going to come from. You don't know who's going to provide you with that sort of feeling. So I, I think that's what's fascinating about this movie. And overall, what's the most powerful is that, again, the backdrop with... Cold. I just thought of one thing, though. Can I run this by you? Sure. Do you think perhaps that people were a little more weirded out about her fucking the creature after we saw the creature eat the cat? <laughs> right? Because he's kind Here's, of played as this, like, dude, sentient, nice boyfriend type. There's a, there's a joke. There I think the eating the cat say. reminds us of the feral wild animal side. Right. And maybe that helped build the income. Maybe if he doesn't mouth that cat, we're just like, he's just a good misunderstood boyfriend in a tub. Right. Yeah. I mean, and granted, I don't like cats hardly at all. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I just like, do you think that that is reminding people that it is, I guess, uh, a taboo in our society? <laughs> sure. I'd, I'd say that's probably a moment to say like, maybe it's taboo at the moment. Ooh, that's a yeah. tough one, man. Like, I don't know. Oh, there man. is also I was totally like, down for you guys. 
There's also like serious wor- there's serious wordplay here that's like low hanging fruit that I cannot get into. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not go- I'm not taking the bait, Griffey. I'm not. Um, I you asked a question before we started bait. the pod, and I realized I don't have an answer for it. And I, I want to ask you because I don't know if you've thought about this. I really haven't. The title of the movie, The Shape of Water. You said, I don't know what that means. And I got to be honest, I don't either. So I think we need to explore that. (laughs) Like, what is that? Yeah, I think I think I thought I knew what it was because I've seen this movie multiple times now. What did you think it was? And I think I I think I assumed it was the name of the poem at the end. Right. And that might be. But even then, it, it should mean something. Right. And I think at the end, the poem starts to discuss. I think the theme of the poem at the end, I I don't remember the exact wordings, right? But essentially it is um, when you love someone so much that every atom of the world becomes them, right? And that's the great, you know, elemental ability of water is it can change and take form. And so I think the shape of water, right, is referring to the way that, when you find someone and you can be completely at ease with them. Right. Cause I, I never loved this in movies, right. The whole idea that we'll find a soulmate. And it makes life perfect. I think it's a weird thing that humans do where we're like, someone else can fix all the empty holes in our soul. It's like, no, they can't, they can make it more tolerable. Right. Right. But I think this movie is saying something like, you know, when you're in the presence of so such a romance, right. That you are totally enveloped and you are totally filled uh with happiness right in a world that's kind of cold and sad right i don't know that that's a great answer for your question i mean i don't think i I don't think it's any worse than other answers that one might find i mean ultimately i feel like the shape of water i think that's a great way to put it though like the the atoms in the universe of the atoms in the universe take the shape of what you love i I like that notion i like the concept of the all i like the concept becomes cold and sad and you're you're rock hard and immutable like michael shannon i like the concept of to me like the shape of water is about the envelopment of what love is so when you find it that's what the shape of water is it's the it overtakes you so nothing else matters I, i like i like that that would be probably my way of describing so i don't know yeah, I was going to ask you this, too. Somehow in all the times of me watching this film, I had totally spaced the fact that they gave her what feels like it could be construed as a mythical origin story. Right. That she is found by people near an orphanage. She's found by the river with these marks on her neck that they assume are wounds. Right. Uh, that severed her vocal cord. Right. I had totally spaced the thought that this this feels like a, a Little Mermaid setup almost, right? Weirdly enough, I don't know how that never fucking clicked with me. The Little Mermaid parallel, right? That she could be, and maybe that's why people are so drawn to her, is she is also a mythical creature. I mean, I think that's completely I gotta plausible. say, if she is, I don't know that I love that as much. I mean, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's a fairy tale no matter what. So I am willing to sit here. I'm just willing to sit there and accept whatever reality Guillermo del Toro puts forth. So to me, sure, that is what I think. But that is what I think I like the most about it, is like that's the story we hear. The story could be very plain or the story could be very fanciful. But yeah. like 
That is True. why I think that that's why I think it works so well because it's it is it is of the ilk of fairy tales. So of course she should have some sort of fairy tale origin. And a lot of times in fairy tales, you often have characters who wake up not realizing who they are. That's part of the story. That's part of the yeah. That's part of the play of a great fairy tale. So to me, for Sally Hawkins' character to not know who she is only to find mm-hmm. only to find that at the end like when her true self is revealed when her gills open up so to speak that to me yeah. is that to me actually is quite beautiful it's again it's another great it's another great play sure. on the fairy tale aspect of what del toro is doing yeah and i mean it's a it's a lovely moment i remember the first time seeing the movie and being like how the fuck did i not know that was coming that's so good but there's there's a part of it. I actually when I I think I've always thought of the movie is she knew cruelty so young, right? That she is perfectly placed as a human who has suffered, right? Right. To understand the value of making a connection with her shut-in neighbor, right, who's a troubled man himself, right? right? Or, you know, her friendship with Octavia Spencer and, you know, cherishing that. And that when she sees this monster that just by the way it looks at her, she knows it's not a monster because she's experienced, you know, human monsters before. So I think that always really worked for me. And the ending becomes this kind of choose your own adventure moment, right? Sure. Do you think that she's brought in there and healed and that she was a fish all along? Uh, and now they'll live happily. Because that's what Richard Jenkins says. He's like, do can I tell you they lived happily ever after? I like to believe they did. Right. Um, I've always thought you could believe at the end that maybe he's just doing an Edgar, right? From Men in Black. He's like, it's a long trip. Gonna need a snack. <laughs> right? Like, she's done. Who cares? Like, you know, I gotta get back to my Amazonian fish tender. I, don't I know. guess you could say that. Sure. Yeah, like, there's a part a part of the movie that you don't know that what happens under there is real. That could be, because just as Richard Jenkins is narrating the opening, right, of mm-hmm. uh, Sally Hawkins floating in her own apartment. Right. right. Maybe this is Richard Jenkins recollecting some of that. Maybe this is and Richard as an artist, Jenkins. He's adding some romantic flourishes. To Perhaps it, this know? is Richard Jenkins' fairy tale all along. Maybe this isn't even real. Yeah. But I, I think I think that's the thing though, right? Is I love the fairy tale elements of this, but the thought that she was some kind of stranded gill person to begin with and she's just going back home does not work as well for me. But I think that is something they build in with Richard Jenkins' dialogue is, I can't tell you what happens. Right. I tell you what I want to believe. Right. And, and I we think have that's, to do that as an audience. Right. And I think that in and of itself is what great, that's, that in and of itself is what great stories come, where great stories come from. It's not necessarily, you know, there's uh, the spotlight story, which is all the facts and they're all laid out for you there. Or there's, <laughs> or there's the, there's a or there's some element of whimsy. There's a fantasy to behold. There's yeah. something to really aspire to because it's beautiful, not because it's truthful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the way I always think of this movie, right, is I first off, I just can't believe it exists in this form, right? Just this this beautiful romantic tale with so much baggage that feels like it would not have gotten made right the creature from the black lagoon and this lady tap dancing and falling in love above an old theater and right it it just feels impossible right and whether it's just sally hawkins just 
dominating or Richard Jenkins just making me want to give him a hug or Michael Shannon monologuing and, you know, ripping his fucking fingers off. There, there's just not a moment or frame in this movie where I, I'm just not ecstatic that it exists. And it, it's one of those experiences that you just don't get with a lot of movies. And and again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm I'm fairly cynical by nature. And I tend to drift towards darker movies that are, you know, examining in a little more harsh tone, something like a Pan's Labyrinth. Right. Um, and this one just, it's one of those experiences where I'm like, it's just pure cinematic joy for me. Every frame. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I feel like, I don't know if we've been very insightful or whatever. I just, I, I feel like I could just for like an hour, just be like, that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, I think that's the thing about this movie is I don't think either of us can necessarily say we've been insightful. I mean, sure we could, I guess, but it's one of those I mean, things I where like, I, have, but. I don't feel like I need to, I don't think I need to posture or theorize about this movie because what I would say is just watch this, watch this and feel the love and feel how beautiful this story is about people who find each other. I mean, not people, I guess, but souls that find one souls. Another. I like the way you said that. Souls. souls that find one another. Yeah. I, well done. Well done to everyone involved in absolute masterclass across the board. That's it for Woo. the shape of water. Uh, hit us up. By email or on socials, what's the body count for the fish man? <laughs> how long how, is this guy like 500 years old? How long has this been going down? Is this a Highlander romance? I don't know. Although Connor McLeod was also slinging swords. Uh, let us know. Please leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show. Please uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Find us on your socials. We'll be back next week as man meets machine in the bedroom. Uh, the movie Her. The movie Her. Uh, love that one, too. Can't wait to get to it. Again, we have some cool new stuff coming. Uh, we'll have a couple Tuesday episodes uh, that we'll let you know about when we know. Uh, until then, for the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. <laughs> <laughs>